young voices, big issues. Join us as we explore the real power of Youth Rising. Youth Rising. The Youth Rising podcast by NCS. Hey, this is Youth Rising by NCS, where young people raise their voice to make a positive difference together. With a podcast for young people made by young people. I'm Eleanor Ray, and I can't wait for you to hear what we have lined up for this season. Each week, we're going to be exploring the topics that matter the most to our generation. From understanding sex better to the climate crisis, we're getting our voices heard and asking the big questions. In this first episode, we're asking, are we really starting to love ourselves? The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. With a huge rise in the popularity of self-care, body positivity and well-being influencers across social media, we are being delivered a very clear message. Good morning, beautiful queens. Good morning, beautiful queens. Hello, my loves. Welcome back to another episode of Not Today, Brenda, the show where I slowly dismantle diet culture one video at a time. Wear the tight-fitting dress. Wear it, queens, because you are going to regret it if you don't. Because you deserve to celebrate your body how it looks right now please. today i'm talking all things self-care more than what's on the outside we have so much more to offer than the size of our thighs your compassion and your big heart is your best trait but only if you surround it with boundaries my motivation has always been i do not want anyone else to feel like they are alone so be kind to yourself and remember i love you You heard there Isabella Davis, Boppo Boy, Florence Given, and Megan Jane Crabb, who will be coming up later in the show. These are just a handful of the people telling us to accept and love ourselves for who we are. But are we? We spoke to the incredible body positivity power author and influencer, Megan Jane Crabb. With over 1.3 million followers and a best-selling book under her belt, there's no better person to talk to us about issues of self-confidence and her own journey to self-love. Thank you very much for coming on the Youth Rising podcast. It's lovely to see you. Thank you so much for having me, Lottie. Pleasure. You often have to get to a pretty low place before you can start to believe in yourself. And we kind of want to know what started your self-love journey. I agree with you, Lottie, in that often people hit rock bottom before they start climbing up. For me, in terms of my body image and my body acceptance, it was the opposite because I hit the place that I always thought would make me happy. (laughs) Uh, Like I did diet culture for years. I struggled with eating disorders when I was younger and I always had that magical number in my head that I told myself once I hit that I'll be happy and then I did and I was still miserable and I still hated my body Uh, so that was that aha epiphany moment of oh well this isn't going to make me happy then is it and it's never it's never going to be enough and um, that was over seven years ago now so I started there Um, and I've definitely had a fair few like rock bottoms in the meantime mental health wise it seems like you keep learning the same lesson until you're really ready to accept it and practice it you know we're all so good at telling other people to love themselves myself included I do it on the internet every single day but actually doing it myself and giving myself the kind of care I give others it's hard isn't it what's one of the most important things you've learned about self-love I feel like I will be learning things about self-love for my entire life because it's a 
practice. It's it's like a muscle. You have to stretch it. You have to build it. And for me, it's the lesson that I am no good to the world or anyone else if I don't take care of myself, if I don't fill myself back up. It's that whole you can't pour from an empty cup thing and taking care of ourselves. You know, it's not selfish. It is essential. It is self-preservation. And it actually means that we can give more of ourselves to the world and other people. Yeah, totally. I'd love to know as well, have you found that the way you talk to other people and give them love, has that helped you reflect on your own self-love in a way? Kind of. I was really good. I was really good at telling everyone else one thing, but then you still have that little voice in your head that's like, oh, except you. (laughs) You're the exception. Everyone else, everyone else deserves to be nice to themselves, but not you because you're terrible. (laughs) But I have been working slowly on that. I've been in therapy for five years. Big up, big up therapy. Uh, I wish everyone had access to it. It is a beautiful thing. And I have been working on just letting go of that little voice that pops up and says, not you, no, me too, me too. And, um, you know, connecting with younger Megan and giving her the care that she deserved. Do you do you have that voice, Lottie, that like everyone else, but not me? Definitely. And I think everyone has that. And I think to a degree, when you tell other people, oh, you're amazing or whatever, you, you don't have that little voice when you're talking about them, right? So why does it just pop up for ourselves? It's it's crazy and it's weird, but I agree with you. I think therapy is awesome and that we should all have it. Well, it should be accessible as well. On top of that, you mentioned about younger Megan. So I wanted to touch upon childhood stuff and where body shaming, body dysmorphia beliefs were taught. Can you remember any like specific times where that was a thing? I get asked this quite a lot from well-meaning people who don't believe me uh, when I say I was five years old and I hated my body because they think, well, how how does that happen? Where does that come from? You're five years old. And for me, that is genuinely all the time it took for me to absorb diet culture and fat phobia and all the ways that we are taught to see bodies around us. And that might come from TV shows, especially in the 90s when I was that age, only ever showing a single body type and a single leading lady protagonist uh, being beautiful and lovable it could be from magazines I used to pick up my mum's magazines and you know leaf through the how to lose 15 pounds in two seconds articles that still exist or it could just trickle down through family you know kids are sponges kids absorb how their parents, how their families speak about themselves, how they speak about others. So if you grew up in a family with a dieter or someone who was always judging other people, even if they didn't mean for it to trickle down onto you, it probably did. And it did for me, you know, as much as none of the people around me ever were intentionally trying to make me feel like my body was wrong. I got the message. I got the message in, in lots of ways. Yeah, that definitely. I can resonate with that totally. I remember being at primary school and like, even at ages of five, six, seven, those conversations already starting amongst friends. And you mentioned comparing yourself to people we see on TV and like magazines and stuff. And how do you change the lens of comparing yourself and falling into that trap of body shaming and changing it into self-love? Oh, for me, I had to tap out. I had to completely detox myself from all of these influences that were making me believe that I had to change my body. I stopped 
listening to celebrity news. I stopped following people on Instagram who were just known for being impossibly beautiful and photoshopped their bodies. I stopped reading those magazines. I literally just got all of it out of my system and slowly replaced it all with TV shows that had more diverse casts and books that were talking about body acceptance and people of all shapes, sizes, shades, ages, abilities, genders, just talking about acceptance. And slowly my own brain shifted. And it is not an overnight process. It does take a while. You know, if you think about how many years we spend hearing the other stuff, being conditioned by diet culture. Yeah, definitely. I did the same thing a few years ago and it was from your Instagram because I saw you talking about it and I was like, that's a fair point. But then I thought, no, I I don't think, you know, it really does have an effect on me. But I think actually subconsciously, a lot of times it does. It just takes the recognition of that sort of thing. And like, it's been the world of help. So thank you for saying that (laughs) because it was very useful. Hey, go Lottie. (laughs) The idea of not worrying about being attractive to other people is so great in principle, but how do you do it, live it and believe it? That's a huge question. Um, <laughs> that's just a massive question. Hold on to the table. <laughs> great question. Great question. Great question. Work in progress for everyone, I think, and including myself. It's very difficult to be aware of beauty standards, to be aware of diet culture, to be aware of patriarchy and all the ways that especially women and people of marginalised genders, are taught to see themselves as for other people's consumption and for other people's approval. You can be aware of all of that and you still live in it. (laughs) You still exist in a day-to-day in it. And even for myself, I still work in a world that is all about images and how you look and and being, if not the beauty standard, uh, at least kind of engaging in in, in how you look so people want to follow you and, and, and listen to you. And it is a tricky, tricky thing. And what I would say is if you are struggling to break out of that desirability, politics essentially is what it is, uh, you are not alone. It is difficult and even I do not master it every single time, especially um, especially at times in my life when I'm single. Uh, if I've like just gone through a breakup or something, that little creeping thought of oh, well, you have to be you have to be attractive every time you go out. You have to be desirable to other people. Like, how are you gonna get validation if if you're not you know looking cute all the time? <laughs> and I really have to practice pushing that voice down, going out however the hell I want to go out. And reminding myself that I don't exist for another person's approval. I am not an object. I am a being, this body. Yeah, it's colourful and fun, but it, it exists for me to go out and live. And the only way to learn that is by doing it. Woohoo, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was a big question, big answer, you know? Coming off the back of that, I think it's very hard to have that mindset as we've discussed a lot of the time. And for some people, it can almost be quite, I can't think of the word, overwhelming to hear straight away. So I'd love to know what your thoughts are on toxic positivity. Yeah, you know what? I'm a big believer that you can't heal something before you've acknowledged it. And I think with toxic positivity so often, it's just, you know, slap the band-aid on it. Just laugh it off, smile, everything's great, be happy, no worries. And actually, I think the key to really unlearning something and really healing something is looking it in the eye, in, is being honest, like this is how it is. It sucks. It feels horrible. And processing that so that then you can get to 
positivity when it suits you or just neutrality. And you don't have to be positive all the time. That's not a realistic expectation. I expected myself to be like that for years when I first started doing Body Posi Panda stuff. And let me tell you, it's unsustainable and doesn't make you happy. So we embrace, we embrace the full spectrum of emotions here. Do you believe that people or influencers can be fully and 100% transparent on social media? (laughs) This question is going to get me in trouble. (laughs) Yes, I do believe they can be. And I believe that I know some who are. But that's a tricky thing because on one hand of the conversation, we need people who are authentic. We need people who are human and honest and being themselves. We don't have enough of that. But on the other hand, I think we kind of have to acknowledge that the reason why so many people aren't authentic also comes from a protective thing, uh, not wanting to put too much of their personal stuff out there, not wanting to just lay it all bare. And, you know, we've we've all been taught that the way to be successful is to, have, to be this shiny, perfect image. And they're just playing the game. You know, they're playing the game that they've been taught. So I do think it is possible. But I also think we're having really interesting conversations now about how we treat influencers, people with platforms and what we expect from them and what we are entitled to. And I would say as much as we deserve authenticity, we also can't expect everyone with a platform to just lay their souls bare every single day for our consumption because people have to take care of themselves. Yeah, exactly. And like, if I'm having a rubbish day, the last thing I want to do is go on Instagram and be like, having a bad day, guys. Haha. <laughs> like, it's not really what you want to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Love to talk about as well expression and whether you think that's a big part of self-love. So things like your amazing hair, which I love, by the way. Um, what do you think about that? Do you use a lot of expression to be a part of loving yourself? I definitely do. I just, for me, colour is one of the best things about being on the planet. So why wouldn't I splash that over my entire life? Um, And I think, you know, outward expression, whether it's just style or whether it's gender expression, it can be so freeing and it can make you feel so in line with yourself and who you feel you are on the inside. But equally, massive respect for people who just think, nah, this this outside thing is the least important thing about me. Um, I'm just going to like live my life and not put tons of energy into that. I, I equally love that. <laughs> yeah, same. Like Some days you just want to wear joggers and a t-shirt and just chill out. And honestly, sometimes that's every day and I think that's Most fine. days. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so to finish off this section, I'd love to know what does perfect mean to you now? So as Megan sat here today. To me, perfect is just being human, (laughs) just allowing yourself to be messy, complicated, contain contradictions, change your mind, make mistakes, put all the emotions out there, just that pure human messiness. That is what I try to allow myself to be and that is what I want more people to allow themselves to be. That's perfect. Oh, I love that. That was great. (laughs) Awesome. Can you also answer that, Lottie? I want to know what perfect is to you. (laughs) Just, Just throwing it back. God, I wasn't expecting this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think perfect means to me who I surround myself with in the sense that part of my self-love, I think, is making sure I'm around people who love me and respect me. And I think I'm 19, so I think I'm at an age now where I've definitely been able to do that and I've struggled enough to say, okay, this person isn't affecting me well. I can can let it go. It's fine. And I think 
I love that I'm in a place now where I can say, you know, what perfect to me is the fact that I'm surrounded by people who, to me, are, you know, not perfect, but imperfectly perfect, like amazing people who love me and I love them. I love that. I love that. And yes, so important. Thank you. Put me on the spot there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to be fair, you've been putting me on the spot for like 20 minutes. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> the Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. Our Youth Rising team got together to talk about being on social media, loving themselves and the notion of a one size fits all. When I was just looking at statistics, I found this thing on like the Mental Health Foundation website that said that people between the ages of 11 to 16, 79% of them found how they looked important to them and then over half of them worried about how they look and I thought that was really like interesting reading that because that was definitely me especially during those ages going to girls school and stuff it was just very a very weird weird time for me in terms of like image and like all of that stuff no one would really say that or like talk about it but then as we've all grown up we've been like oh yeah like we were all thinking the same thing and we all felt a bit weird about how we looked and especially like pretty much growing up with social media because when I was in secondary school it was now really starting to become what it is today so it's just growing up with that and constantly being surrounded by images of influencers that have unrealistic body ideals who are themselves like doing really really weird things behind the scenes to get these bodies it's quite interesting going back to the thing oh I don't really like how I look and you don't really get to say that I think something that goes into that is that no one really used to take it seriously like it's say, oh I don't really like this dress on me and then people would take it as a joke or it would be like um, cool to say I don't think this looks good on me oh I don't look good and then it's like people would think you're just saying that because you want people to compliment you you're just saying that because you know you look good and then it started to take away you know the actual meaning behind it yeah I definitely agree with that And I think the idea of the one size fits for all is very interesting because it can be taken in a very good way, but it can also be taken in a very bad way because can one size actually fit all? And then how is that going to make you feel about yourself? And will it look good on you? It will fit, but will it look good on you? Yeah, I really hate it, especially because it's just not true. Like, I'm not sure what the one size is, but it's not fitting all of us. Like, no way. Sophie spoke to a doctor, comedian, and with over 26 million likes, TikTok sensation, Maddie Lucy Dan, on being a self-titled long boy. Hi, Maddie, Lucy Dan. It's great to chat with you and thank you for coming on to the Youth Rising podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So this episode is all about self-love and a huge part of that is accepting the way you look and feel. So you're a junior doctor in A&E, which is amazing. Like, wow. (laughs) Um, How does being a medic affect your perspective of bodies? Has it changed or are you still the same way happy prior? That is such a good question. I think being a medic and it definitely changes your perception of bodies and appearance and I think first of all what you realise very quickly is just the enormous variety of bodies um you know not one body looks the same to the other and I think realising there was that huge variety is very freeing knowing that there's not a set way to look even though sometimes it can feel that way and I think as well doing medicine you do have this like respect for your body too as much as you know, you can critique it and not like how it looks or how it moves sometimes. You can have this enormous respect for how it works. 
which like sounds super lame, but sometimes I'm generally like mind blown that there's all this going on inside my body in this perfect balance to keep me up, you know, I'm just a, a bag of flesh and bones, but I'm having all these deep thoughts and I'm managing to do all these things. And I just think that that's incredible. So it's definitely given me a respect for my body as well. And also, I think when you when you are a doctor, you have this really privileged position in people's lives. And, you know, they will, you know, if you have to do intimate examinations of people or anything like that, you can see this and you can help that person with that worry they might feel for that examination or insecurity they might feel. And being able to help someone with that and normalise, you know, whatever it might be, that's really empowering too. So you're a self-titled long boy. And I love that you own this because for a lot of people, their height can make them feel really awkward. So how has being tall affected your sense of body image and self-perception? So I've always loved being tall. Like, I adore it. I think it's the most fun. And I know that a massive reason why I am so confident in my height is because it was always celebrated when I was younger. You know, it was always people saying, God, look how big you've gotten, you know, family members. And then when it came to school, being on things like sports teams, and I don't appear particularly sporty, but because I'm very tall, I got into the netball team and I then I played for a long time and then I got good at netball and I was given opportunities because I was really tall and they were opportunities where I got praise as well. You know, so I, I feel like a massive part of why I'm so confident with my height is because it was praised to me from a young age and that made a huge effect. And in the same way, if you're if anyone ever sort of belittles or demeans something about you from a young age, it massively affects you, you know, in the in the converse way. So yeah, I love being tall. I, I think it's great. People have complimented me on it and I've really enjoyed it. And I have embraced it. And I think that, you know, you know, people sometimes say fake it till you make it. I don't think I ever faked it. I always liked being tall. I always wanted to make sure I was standing up. And it, it made me feel powerful. And I think especially growing up and being in school and um, being gangly and a bit of a, a nerd, I think I lent on my height as my power because I always felt like, you know, when I was getting taller than the boys, I was a bit like, what are you going to do? So you've obviously talked about all the positives then about being tall and how much you love being tall. But since leaving school, have you experienced any negativity about your height? Few and far between. So, okay, yeah, of course, you know, occasionally I do find and I don't know whether it's a coping mechanism, but I rarely remember really nasty things. And I think it's because I really try to not give them my brain space as best as I can. Um, but oh, 100% like I can recall and it's silly little things which I say silly little things but they're not so silly when there's lots of them and it's it was things like um, I bought a pair of boots I, I really liked but they had a bit of it like a, a normal sort of boot heel on them anyway I put them on I'm suddenly about six foot five and everyone you know so and we're in a pub and we're sitting down and then I think I stood up where I went to go and do something and I heard some comments from the next table and I don't remember exactly what it said but it was a group of, of men and they made some comment about like, oh my God, if she's not wearing heels then, or if she is in heels, or why has she got heels on? And that, you know, not because I'm insecure about my height, but I think any comment on your appearance is always a bit sort of galling. And then I, but I do remember once I was trying on heels for my prom in, in M&S, obviously. I was putting them on and I turned to my mum and she's five foot four, bless her. And she said, I said to her, mum, do you think these make me a bit too tall? And this woman, and I've no idea who she was, she went too tall for what? And I was like, too tall for what? 
Although when I met some people, I was out in town, this is ages ago, and they were like, I thought you'd be taller, and I was gutted. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> That's really made me giggle. The final question is, would you say that you love yourself? Oh my God, yeah. We're obsessed. We love her. We do talk about her like this, though, which I don't know what person that's in. No, I do. I do love myself. And I think that's helped me times where I've not where I've thought my body looks different to what I'm used to. For whatever reason that might be, I've been able to know that I love myself and that change in my physical appearance doesn't change my worth. And that all stems from having that central general, you know, love for myself. Because if you don't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? That's my profound, I've stolen that. But no, I do, I do. And I think, especially now, I've seen that me presenting my relationship with my appearance has hopefully made other people confident in having a good relationship with their appearance. We love her even more. You know, uh, yeah, I do. I absolutely do. And I think everyone else should not love me, love themselves. So thank you very much, Maddie. No, thank you so much. It's been a thrill. How can we help? Each week, we'll be looking at what we can do to give back to the community in How Can We Help? And as this week's episode is all about self-care, we thought we'd take a look at some of the ways we can look after our own mental well-being. Our Youth Rising team were inspired by Think Like a Monk author and podcaster Jay Shetty's 20-Day Meditation Challenge. He encouraged people to join in with his free daily stream sessions on YouTube. Whenever your mind wanders, just gently and softly, without getting frustrated or upset with yourself, bring back your awareness to calm, balance, ease, stillness, and peace. This commitment to slowing down, trying something new, and showing yourself you care about you really stood out to us. So we thought we would start our own Youth Rising 20-Day Self-Care Challenge. We want you to do something every day that makes you feel good. Whether it's dancing around your kitchen, reaching out to a long lost friend, or saying yes to something you wouldn't normally. Give it a go and tag us in your pictures and videos at hashtag YouthRisingSelfCare. We can't wait to see what you get up to. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. We also heard from Kai McGill, who tackled low self-confidence and self-esteem at school and is now committed to a career in giving back to young people. I struggled with my self-esteem and confidence at the ages of about 15 to 16, a crucial point in my life. Going from that transition from school to college was massive. You're out in the big bad world, you're fending for yourself, basically. NCS came along into my school, done an assembly. I didn't really know what it was about. I was a bit hesitant of going, but then my mum pushed us and pushed us to go, and it was the best thing I've ever done. I got a job working in McDonald's and it wasn't the career I wanted to go down but it was a little bit of money for us. I could go out with my friends and stuff like that. And now I'm in, within the career that I want to do. It's a support worker for young people's mental health and now I'm pursuing my career. Anything is possible. 
Spaces on the NCS Summer 22 experience are now open for 16 to 17 year olds. To find out more, head to wearencs.com. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS. NCS are proud to announce Mixtape 22, a collaboration between young people and some new faces on the music scene to produce an original soundtrack for our lives, inspired by what really matters to our generation. My co-host Masin spoke to one of the collaborators, singer-songwriter Emma Cannon, who talks about how music has helped her express herself. Hi Emma, tell me a little bit about your story and how that kind of led you towards your music and what you've kind of been doing over the last few years to kind of tap into that more. So I struggled with mental health a lot when I was a teenager. So from 15 to 16 was probably the peak of my mental health issues. Um, And I was diagnosed with generalised anxiety and OCD. And it was so severe that I could barely go to school. Year 11, I barely went in. I was completely isolated. I got the help I needed, luckily, which I'm so grateful for. And I don't know, but for some reason, being isolated from other people my age kind of made me look at life a bit differently. People were focusing on getting their GCSEs, and that's all anyone was really caring about and then getting the grades to go to uni and then going on and on. But I was just like, I felt like there was way more to life. And I still did my GCSEs, I did really well. And I went to college, even though everyone was pressuring me to go to sixth form, because that was just the thing that everyone did in my area. I don't I know, college was kind of frowned upon because it was like for creatives and I don't know, people looked down on that. But I just went against what people wanted me to do. And then I just fell into like doing music. (laughs) And I kind of found my path that way. But I was still really, really anxious. And then I didn't want to go to uni when I left. So I just thought I want to go traveling. And I just kept doing like little mini trips as soon as I was 18 on my own, just went, even though I was really anxious, like it made, it didn't really make any sense because I didn't want to go, but I did want to go. So I thought like, oh, I've just had enough of being inside my own head. And then the more I did these little trips, I built myself up and then I went away for four months just on my own. And I came back and I was like, there's like a whole world out there. And I missed music the most. That's what I missed. I realised what I missed and I came back and I was like, right, well, that's what I'm going to do now. I just have to do it. You mentioned that you faced a lot of anxieties through throughout your journey. Do you have self-doubt now or like if you do, how do you deal with it? Um, that's a good question. I mean, of course I do. I still get anxious. Like I was a bit anxious for this, but I have anxieties, but I wouldn't say I have anxiety anymore like generalized anxiety I think I don't have it to the point that it's like in the way of my life and these thoughts do come up I do doubt myself yeah but um I think I always have a good gut instinct that I keep going on about and if I feel like I'm doing the right thing I've learned to just trust myself and to just go for it and again taking that time out listening to what your gut is saying and then just acting on that and I think that's how I keep like 
positive and I keep my confidence up and I don't know like even in front of me I have like this note that I've written which is just like rules to like keep myself in order when I'm doing my music like it's like don't like doubt yourself that's one of them and then I do have to remind myself like I've got this I am good because I forget sometimes it's just constantly reminding yourself I think I think that's so important reminding yourself to learn to love yourself and reminding yourself to love yourself but also you know sometimes it's about going against the tide and sometimes it's about riding it what's next for you Emma what's the, what's the plans for the rest of the year and for your story in, in music and now you plan to kind of take things on <laughs> I mean I feel like I've I've only just begun really I'm just gonna be even more confident with what I'm doing I'm gonna keep trying to push boundaries I'm gonna push my sound I'm gonna try and experiment even more with different genres and just being me I guess and I'm I'm not afraid to make mistakes anymore because I think every mistake is a lesson so I'm just gonna keep going and just see what happens I think I look forward and I think everyone is gonna look forward to hearing the music that comes out thank you thank you so much for having me follow at NCS on social media to hear more about Mixtape 22 in the lead up to its release in March Reading list. Each week we're getting our guests to recommend a book that has helped them. This week's books are... The book I would recommend to everyone is The Body Is Not An Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. Sonia Renee Taylor is an OG in the body liberation movement, has done so much work with so many people helping them accept their bodies. And the book is just really accessible and fun and little little pocket sized. So get into it. My book recommendation is This Is Going To Hurt and Twas The Night Shift Before Christmas by Adam Kay because it is the closest to what it's actually like being in a hospital that I've ever read. It's hilarious, it's heartbreaking, it's incredibly written and it's so interesting. And they're doing a TV show of it. My recommended book would be Daring Greatly by Brenny Brown. I feel like this book definitely played a part and inspired me to start singing. It's all about allowing yourself to feel vulnerable and how it takes so much courage to feel this vulnerability, but in the long run, it's really, really worth it. And here at the Youth Rising team, we recommend Florence Givens' Women Don't Owe You Pretty. She'll be coming up later in the series to talk about sex education, as well as setting boundaries with yourself and other people. But before then, be sure to grab a copy. Join us again next week as we discuss sex education. And remember to rate, review and follow Youth Rising wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check out our socials at NCS on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat and YouTube. I'm Eleanor Ray. Thank you to Musin, Sophie, Lottie, Nelly, Rana, Kai and CJ for their help on this episode. And of course, to our guests, Megan, Maddie and Emma. This was a Something Else production for NCS, where young people turn no you can't into no we can. Young voices, big issues. Join us as we explore the real power of youth rising. Youth rising. rising. The Youth Rising Podcast by NCS.